Are you afraid? You should be. I thought he was the man to lead us through the long night. A face will be added to the whole. You would spill blood in this holy place. The gods were mine. Show them what Lannisters are. And make no mistake. The dead are coming. Dragons do not do well in captivity. How do you know this? That's what I do. I drink and I know things. They have no idea what's going to happen. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, to the Winter is Coming Game of Thrones podcast. We're here talking episode three, Oathbreaker. And guys, Jon Snow is alive and well. And for a second there, he was kind of jittery, stumbling around. But hey, Isis, you got to see Jon Snow, but how excited were you? I was super excited. Um, I, If you guys follow the live tweet that uh, Annie, myself, and David do um, for Winter is Coming, you will know how excited I was. It was super awesome to see, like, him just kind of come alive and, you know, really kind of put those naysayers, <clears throat> bandit, uh, to, to rest <laughs> that, that, that Jon Snow or whatever incarnation he's going to be is alive and well. And not only that, I mean, we got to see a little bit of, of Jon Snow naked, sort of, I just wanted to see the tip, but they didn't. So um, it was really Appar- interesting. Apparently Tormund saw the tip, though. Apparently so, and awesome of him for giving the, uh, you know, the dick joke of the night. Uh, I, I mean, it wouldn't be Game of Thrones without it. So, uh, awesome, you know, hats off, hat tip to, uh, Tormund there. Ah, I see what you did there. Hat yeah. tip. Hat tip, you like it? Uh, to, to Tormund for doing that. It was really, really lighthearted and, and kind of, you know, it, it needed to kind of level out the, you know, the depth of what was happening in that moment. So, it was good. Yeah, well, we had Jon Snow uh, wobbling around the room a little bit, and uh, immediately Davos sees um, Jon Snow wake up from the dead, and he brings Melisandre in, and Bandit, let me get your opinion on this. We have Melisandre, who is at the bottom of her faith. She doesn't think she brings Jon Snow back, and then all of a sudden, there he is. And she asks him the question, what did you see on the other side? And his answer is, there's nothing, which is a callback to season, I believe, three, where she asks Beric Dondarrion, when she goes to uh, get Gendry, what did you see on the other side? And, and Ber- Beric Dondarrion says, there's nothing there, my lady. So, what what what's your thoughts on that whole situation well, it's, there? It's also a callback to the episode of Mash where Charles uh, Winchester gets uh, shaken and asks the wounded soldier in Korea, uh, "What digging deep?" So you Dig know, deep. it's also I thought that was a nice little Mash tie-in uh, right there. I always appreciate Mash tie-ins, even when I totally invent them. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean it's it was cool. I'm I'm glad to see you know Jon Snow over there. I do think that it's funny that like Jon Snow. We did see a little Jon Snow booty, but um, I, I do think it's funny that Jon Snow, even dead, laying on the plank or whatever, had that nice little like modesty loincloth towel, like a little cloth mm-hmm. that they put over there. Um, and it does make me think. And usually I'm on the other side of this argument, so please forgive me, but it does make me think, like, yeah, that's a little cheesy. Like, that's a little cheap. Like, if it had been a woman in this series, does anybody think there had been a washcloth there? 
No, it would have been full on. It would be they would be naked. So it does feel a little um, a little bit crappy that that that's the way that this is playing out. And I think it lends a little bit of credence to people who say that perhaps the show uh, is getting a little crazy with the female nudity and it's not equal on the side of humanity. And I, I. in fact, I'm also later on in the episode, I don't want to spoil it, but I'm actually going to agree with what Annie said last week, later tonight. So that should be oh. oh, my God. We're going to agree on something? I don't know oh if we're going to agree on this, but I'm going to reiterate something you said last week and say, well, maybe you're right. So. Woohoo! Okay, here we go. So then we've got we've got Jon Snow and we've got Melisandre and Davos. Jon puts on his old Night Night's Watch cloak and his clothes and he walks outside and every all the wildlings and the rest of the Night's Watch are there and they're all kind of like in awe and he meets he meets Tormund, he gives him a hug. He gets the pecker joke, you know, they all think you're a god, but I know you're not a god because uh, a god doesn't have a small pecker and that's a funny joke. And then Annie the moment we've been waiting for, Ed and John embrace, and I gotta admit, Annie, I I got a little teary-eyed, I got a little misty. How about you? Uh, you know, I love the fact that John told a joke, and you know, yeah. especially when Ed said, "Is that? Are you sure that's you?" Because we know John. John doesn't smile. John doesn't crack <laughs> jokes, and that was kind of the first clue that this is a different Jon Snow than we've had before. You know, it took until the end of the episode to really see the whole change happen. Um, But, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that this is not, this is not, this is not his father's Jon Snow, shall we say. Mm, Good point. So, okay, now we've got a whole different kind of Jon Snow. He's like, don't burn the body. It's a kind of a joke type thing. And... We kind of I was I was kind of expecting an immediate let's go see the traitors, right? Let's go see that, but they didn't do that. I like that they held that to the end actually. I I'm, kind of I'm I really like to... the fact that they've done the wall like as beginning and end of the episodes for three episodes running now. I I think it'll I, stop I, after I, this. I agree I with like that. I agree with I'm... Annie. I think that book ending the episodes with the thing that we want to see the most is is so effective because it gets us really, you know, interest. I mean, not that we're not already interested in the show, but it it really kind of hypes up the energy um, to make them bookends as far as uh, the episodes and stuff. What the only question I have, and I'm not a book reader. If you guys have not listened to this you know, podcast before. I'm not a book reader. I am just a strictly show watcher or what, what do you guys call me? An unsullied an and unsullied. Uh, unsullied. So, you know, Ed is, he's my bro. I love him. He's been ride or die throughout this whole entire, you know, season, the first three <laughs> episodes and stuff. Why would, and, and maybe I guess I'm jumping the gun here, but I'm like, why would he make him like the night's watch? I was just like, why would you do that to your friend that you absolutely, you know, think, you know, you care about and stuff like that when you know they're going to get slaughtered? Um, I think because that was he thinks probably... the person because he thinks that that's the best person to leave uh, the Night's Watch in the hands of. You know, he's, right, he's and... walking out. He's leaving. You know, Ed has actually seen the, there were very few people who are in the Night's Watch who were actually at hard home and survived. Okay, and sure, Ed was one sure. of the very few. Ed knows what's coming. And so, you know, by doing that, I think Jon Snow is basically leaving the Night's Watch in the best hands that he thinks are there. 
And I, honestly, at this point, we don't know what's going to be left of the Night's Watch. We don't know if the remaining Night's Watch are even going to stay at this point. We don't know. But they could. They Yeah, I'd totally leave you there, Razor. <laughs> I, I know you would, bro. Thanks. <laughs> I, I, oh, I would follow. I, I think Bandit, Bandit is Bandit is my Ed, and I'm Jon Snow. Anyway, um, <laughs> no, I think uh, I absolutely think that uh, Tormund at this point, even though he made that joke about like, oh, I know you're not a god and everything, but he has to think that, dude, I'm gonna stick with you because you just escaped death. So I'm going to, you know, I'm gonna roll with the you. Wildlings are definitely following Jon Snow. Oh, absolutely. Point. I mean, he is he is their everything right now, and um, and but I like that Tormund is not one of these people who is like, oh, you know, praise be, I'm gonna, you know, follow you and stuff like that. He's still like, look, I know who you are, and and while you have escaped uh, death, is amazing. Um, I still know who the hell you are, so, Jon Snow. So now so, if. The red, if the red priestess is Tammy Faye Baker, that makes <laughs> that makes what Jon Snow what David Miscarriage. <laughs> you are slandering like two different total. I yeah, I, I'm sorry. They, they, they that one time, over that, my head. I'm gonna go sit over here that, and be Jewish. He just <laughs> he just gave like a a Christian televangelist uh, scathing remark, and also simultaneously doing a uh, Scientology. So oh, my, okay, anything that insults Scientology is good with me. Unequal opportunity. Happy. <laughs> uh, that was a a hat tip. Well, to okay. You. I tell you what. Let's let's skip all, let's skip all the way over to the narrow sea for a second and talk about Marine. Um, we saw Varys get to work uh, finally get to work again, um, and it was pretty cool because we they brought in the uh, for lack of a better word the whore from last season who tricked the Unsullied and the Second Sons into being slaughtered by the Sons of the Harpy. He worked her pretty good, and it was cool to see him back at work, Annie. Am I right? Oh, yeah. Like, it was cool. It was really good to see him back. And it was a good be- reminder of, the, you know, because the, we've had this whole thing now where Varys has been very, you know, I'm I'm for the side of good, you know, we're going to go work for Danny's Targaryen, you know, I'm better than Littlefinger that way, I'm not on the side of chaos. You know what, though? Mm-hmm. He's really no better than Littlefinger. I mean, seriously, he's sitting there, like, threatening that woman's son in order to get information. He is, and, and it's a good reminder of who he really is you know we also got to see his little birds um which is that's the first time we've seen them in the show uh Quyburn has taken them over in king's landing and i like to call them the, i like to call them kai birds oh okay well yeah but i i really liked that because that's also a reminder of who varies was and you know he bribed children into you know basically doing things for him with candy so you know it, it's a good reminder of who that character is at a time when we might have forgotten well, and here's the thing, here's the thing for Varys, in my opinion, is I was almost to the point of was Varys behind the Sons of the Harpy. I was almost to that point because I had been reading a lot of theories, and you know me. I get that tinfoil hat on, and it just gets on there, and I can't get it off. It's like super glued on my head, and I start going over my head, and I, I, really, get, I really get over myself. You're and no one blames you. <laughs> <laughs> and I start I start overthinking and I started to become 
I started thinking, maybe Varys is behind the Sons of the Harpy, and it really would make a lot of sense if Varys is chaos as a ladder and blah, blah, blah this and blah, blah that. And But then, now we got Varys, he's caught this, this whore, he's found out that the Masters are behind the Sons of the Harpy, and, and, and now he really is working with his friend Tyrion, and now they're trying to figure out how to beat them. And that made me happy. And yeah, of course, he's using this, this, this whore's son against her, and, but he gave her a bag of silver, he booked her passage on a ship, and he got her out. That's great. Um, and then we and then we go to King's. But before we go to King's Landing, I want to talk about Tyrion's conversation with with uh, Grey Worm and uh, Missandei. That was hilarious because once again you've got Tyrion and he's trying to come up with these awkward conversation, and it's so funny because he's like, "Let's play a little game," and Missandei's like, "Yes, I I played games." With other girls. <laughs> and, no, 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 no. Not that game. No, we don't want to do that game. So, I mean, you know, Tyrion almost had the line of the night again. So that was great. But, um, so we had, we had some fun times in Meereen. Not as fun as it could have been. And See, then we, I, had we, the, I had the opposite uh, reaction to Meereen. I, I loved Varys, his whole entire scene. I want more of it. I love mm-hmm. when he's a player in the game. But that whole entire scene with Tyrion, you know, I kind of felt like it was kind of like, okay, we have to put Tyrion in the scene, uh, you know, in this episode, so we're going to put this really awkward exchange. But it didn't really move the story forward whatsoever, and Mm -hmm. I felt like it was just – it was painful to watch. It was awkward. Like, he was feeling awkward. You know, Masandre – Masandra – whatever. I've been drinking. Masande. Anyway, whatever, her name. <laughs> and Grey Worm, they, they all looked really awkward, but I didn't feel like it really moved the story forward you at all. You didn't like Grey Worm going, uh, we talk about patrol. Well, you didn't I like mean, but it, was, it didn't it's move hilarious. the story forward, and that's what my whole thing is, especially if we're talking about a condensed you know, season um, for the next two seasons. I, I want snappiness. I want to move the story forward. It really didn't do anything to enhance, like, maybe a relationship between, you know, like well, a trust yeah, relationship I, between I Grain thought, Worm. I, I kind of thought it did, though, because it, it established how fish out of water um, Tyrion really is in this world. That he is so fish out of water that even the people who are on his side and who he's working with, supposedly he can't really communicate with them because he's not used to them. He's used to people work who he he's used to people like Braun who are happy to play games with him and drink with him, um, and you know drink his booze and use him. And he's not used to people who have basically been beaten into behaving you know in a very upright certain way. And so he's a very much a fish out of water. And I think that that emphasizes that even though you know he's working with uh, Missandei and he's working with Grey Worm, that he doesn't get them at all and they don't get him at all. Well, yeah. and, that, and I take that. I mean, that's that's a valid point, Annie. Well, I mean, you know, he he's used to someone having some kind of angle where he can go ahead and use them for his, you know, whether it be money or or whatever, women and stuff like that. So he can use them and know how to push their buttons. Masande and Grey Worm. I mean, to be honest, other than they they care for each other, there's there's no real hidden agenda. Yeah scene was the same thing as the 12 pages that George R. R. Martin writes on the texture of the plum pudding. 
dressing, but it really wasn't a huge point to it. And so I think you're both right. Like, yes, okay, we get a little insight into who they are and blah, blah, blah. But also, it was kind of pointless. This entire episode wasn't as snappy. It didn't move as quickly. I mean, we go over to the Lannisters and things, again, just kind of, you know, conversations. It felt like, you know, it, it was still a great, a good episode. I, I won't say great for this one. It was a good episode, but it felt like to me, like those episodes that would happen in the middle of Battlestar Galactica after they had used up their CGI budget, and they'd be like, "We need to have a few episodes where we debate things on starships. Let's have debates." And it felt kind of like that. And I know that that's not the case with Game of Thrones. They have plenty of money to you know do whatever they want to do, but. It just there was a lot of discussion and a lot of setup and a lot of stuff in this one and it didn't move particularly well. Um, I need to put you in a timeout because now you've used Mash and Battlestar Galactica in the same podcast. I can't help it that I'm a Renaissance man. <laughs> <laughs> Let's before we leave Marine, we have to talk about Danny and Vase Dothrak. She finally got to go see the the old crones and Vase Dothrak and Something that's a little bit uh, different for book readers is we didn't know this was going to happen, but things weren't all roses for Danny because what we thought would happen was she would go to Vase Dothrak and they would put her in her place and she would become a crone, right? And what we would, what I assumed as a book reader is that somebody would come would come safer. Maybe Drogon would sweep down throw a lot of fire around, and she would ride away. Or maybe Jorah the Explorer and Dario would come save her, and she would ride away. But apparently all the calls are coming. They're going to have a great big call meeting, and they're going to decide her fate. Um, now we've seen the trailer for the next episode, and apparently uh, Sir Friendzone and Dario are coming, and they're going to try to set her free. Uh, so something's going to happen with her there, but there, but apparently there's going to be something that's going to decide her fate. So we need to see what's going to happen there. And I didn't know this. Uh, maybe this is going to be a show only thing or or whatever. But this is something that's very interesting to me. Annie, how do you feel about this? Uh, did you see this coming? This whole uh, meeting of the calls and the Kalasars and deciding uh, Danny's fate. Well, um, because I wrote the big uh, post on spoilers. Actually, yes, I knew exactly that this was going okay, to happen. Okay, well, of course. Um, of course. <laughs> but yeah, that, neither here nor there. The fact of the matter is, is that I thought that Danny's scene and Tyrion's scene and all of these kind of short little scenes in Marine actually all had kind of the same theme to it, which was about people's expectations of you. You know, Tyrion mm. expected Missandei and Grey Worm to play with him, you know, yeah. Barry's expected this woman to basically, you know, be acquiesced to him. The Josh Kashin really, um, really expect Danny to to abide by their laws. This is society's expectations, and you have broken society's expectations, and we expect you to conform now. And you can see on Danny's face that she is not about to conform to anything. Yeah, once again, she's like, I am the mother of dragons, uh, Danny the Unburnt, blah, blah, blah. Like, she always goes into that big speech, and they're all just like, whatever. You know, <laughs> yeah, bye. yeah, yeah. Knitter of sweaters. Go sit down. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Move your that. ass. 
Yeah, I mean, so you know, they just uh, so yeah. I I I know I knew this was coming, but the fact of the matter is, is, I felt like because all of these scenes didn't quite have like a moving the story forward thing quite in that same way that we've had the last few weeks. I felt like it was more a, a, a tie-in theme of where all the character where why we saw this cross section of characters this week, as opposed to going to say, you know, the Ironborn or Mm -hmm. God forbid back to Dorne. Um, All of these characters are kind of in the same place. They're all being told, this is the expectation of you. You know, as, as the, as the high Sparrow said to Tommen in King's Landing, you know, the gods tell you what they want and it is up to you to accept or reject what they tell you. And this is basically what everybody was facing. Yeah, exactly. And, that was an interesting scene, and I'm glad it was over because I couldn't stand much more of it. <laughs> and now I want to talk about what was arguably the most exciting scene of the night, the Tower of Joy. The flashback scene where Bran and the Three-Eyed Raven go see what happened in Ned Stark's past as he and his friends ride up to Dorne. I know everybody says Boo Dorn, but this actually happened in Dorn, the Tower of Joy, where Lyanna is is up in this tower, and they go where the King's Guard are guarding Lyanna in the tower. Now, it didn't exa- happen exactly as it happened in the books, but let's, let me let me predicate this by saying the show is the show. The books are the books. You're never going to get exactly what happened in the books as it happens in the show. And I am I am a, a bit of a book purist, and if you've read my articles, you know this. And I had to swallow a bitter pill as I watched this last night. They had a little bit of the dialogue in the show last night, and I was happy for that. But Sir Arthur, Arthur Dane, he did not have his milk glass sword don he didn't have that and he was dual wielding and he didn't wear his um king's guard armor he was wearing targaryen armor he did however have his king's guard cloak that he took off before he battled and so did the other uh king's guard so um you know you know what you have to take what the show gives you and i was happy they did that you have to get to level uh, 30 to get that dual wielding perk what i was happy about though was sir arthur dane was a badass swordsman he was amazing that fight was superb one of the best in the show ever yeah one of the best battles i've seen on the show so far as far as sword fighting goes and that includes some of the bronze scenes bronze been a badass swordsman uh so i would have loved to have seen bronze fight sir arthur dane that would have been badass but uh young ned versus uh arthur dane was pretty cool uh helen reed coming up from behind stabbing him in the neck was pretty cool uh but uh, the Tower of Joy scene was awesome, and we're going to find out more in Episode 5. Am I correct, Annie? That is correct. Gonna, uh, the, gonna... the, the next time we, we know that it will come back – we don't know if it will come back next week, but we do know that it was either in Episode 5 or 6, and we believe it's going to be Episode 5. Yeah, and we're going to find out about Liana up in the tower, who and what and where in Episode 5 or 6 in the tower – uh, so anyway, that was a cool scene, and I was I was I was pleased. But I want to hear your guys' thoughts. So, um, uh, uh, Annie, tell me what you thought about that scene as a book as a book reader. How did you feel about that scene? 
uh, unfolding. Uh, what were your thoughts about it? I really liked that they emphasized the fact that Bran was surprised to see that his father was not as heroic as he always imagined. Right, right. That's, a, that, says, that's an angle that the books didn't have since they didn't show it in this manner. And that's, mm-hmm. a th- that's a theme throughout the books of, you know, the Starks believing that their father is this, you know, incredible hero and not believe, not seeing him as a human being who has frailties. And, you know, that's part of Rob's problem and why part of why Rob makes such incredibly stupid mistakes and gets himself killed. And that's kind of what John has been, you know, John was like, I'm very pleased when you say my I'm as honorable as Ed Stark. And everybody is like, yeah, dude, that's actually not a compliment. Um, so, yeah, um, at least John will get a second chance at this. Um, so I like the fact that they managed to emphasize that, which is a thing that I felt like the show hasn't been able to do before. What bothered me about this part in the show last night was uh, Bran was like, but my father tells me that he de- he defeated him. In the books, Ned Stark says that Helen Reed saved him. Yeah, but you know that's a generalization with the with the show. Um, you know, I actually got into it with an unsullied about this today. She was very angry about this. No, no, she was. She was like, "How how are they retconning Ned Stark to 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 be a self-aggrandizer?" And I'm like, "Dude, Bran was eight. You don't tell an eight-year-old." And then my best friend Helen Reed stabbed the best swordsman of our age in the back to save me. You don't tell an eight-year-old that. Ah, you, you tell go. an okay. eight-year-old a sanitized version of, of, of this, and you make it sound like everything's heroic and everything's beautiful and the blood doesn't happen, right? That's mm-hmm. what Bran still has in his head. But Bran had, Bran's ten years older now, basically, you know, or at least he looks like he is. Um, you know, and he's still <laughs> holding on to this eight-year-old story. And just wait he, till Bran finds out Santa's not real. It's going to like you know, like this is basically like Bran being forced to let go of his childhood beliefs and see the world as it really is. Gotcha. That's a that's that's a good point. Uh, uh, how did you feel about it, Isis? I know you as as a as an unsullied the Tower of Joy scene. I've mentioned it to you before, but how did you how did you feel about it unfolding? Because really, there was no there was really no segue into it. It just happened. There was no like Absolutely. there was no there was, there was no, no brand there was no brand in the trees, and then eyes rolling back into his head, and then there there's was no, tower. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was no wavy lines. It was just all of a sudden they're riding up to the Tower of Joy. No, absolutely. There was no preparation whatsoever. I think this is something that Annie and I have talked about last week, um, that we could watch an entire season of flashbacks of, of what happened in the past. And this really kind of brought it to the forefront. I think, I mean, as much as I love um, Mr. Bean, who um, played Stark, uh, Ed Stark last, yes, uh, in the beginning of the season, I really do enjoy the, the young uh, Edward Stark, on the episode and I really felt like it just brought so much to the table as far as like, Hey, just because you were told this doesn't mean it had happened. It exactly like that, you know, just because, you know, so-and-so this was a tale that they told or whatever doesn't mean that it, or if it's even written down, uh, it actually happened like that. So I really, really enjoyed that fact. I really hated the, the, uh, uh, three-eyed raven, whatever that old man. Uh, I was so mad because I was like, 
go in, go in. I want to see what else is going on. I really hoped it, uh, you know, that we were going to find out exactly what's going on up in that tower. You know, we hear screams from the outside. Uh, so it was so, so, I mean, it really had me at the edge of my seat because I was like, this could possibly answer all the, you know, questions that we have of Jon Snow's. Uh, parents so oh, they're was, dancing around that topic they are dancing absolutely around and and it was just so amazing it was a great fight scene uh, uh to me it was one of the uh best fight scenes that we had seen since uh i i would like to say gosh what what, what was it um my girl what's her name Brienne. 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 When she was fighting those guys off, and she like, you know, she's on the horse, and she cuts the guy's head. Oh man, that fight scene was awesome. You know, I think it was a better fight scene then. It was barely better than when the Sand Snakes fought Jamie and Bronn last, last season. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a smart ass. Uh, so anyway, it was really, really great. I felt like it kind of moved the story forward because. You know, we had already had this preconceived notion of what had happened in the past. And now we're kind of all sitting here disbelieving that because that's not exactly the story that actually happened. So I I think it was excellent. And I believe that Annie was totally right last week as far as saying is, you know, we need to have a whole season of like a prequel of Game of Thrones, and I would totally watch that. I would be totally down to see that. So it was very, very amazing. I can't wait to see what else is going to happen. And I love that Bran was kind of like standing up for himself and saying, no, I want to see. And he yelled out and that he, he, and I don't know if it's true or not, but his dad heard him. And if that is the case, this is my tinfoil hot theory. Then he needs to go back to Queen's Landing, or sorry, sorry, uh, uh, Winterfell, when he was climbing the tower, and he needs to tell himself, don't do that shit, because I feel like that that would save a lot of heartache. <laughs> well, I we're going to find out more. It's going to happen. There's, I feel like the Red-Eye Raven tells him, no, you can't change the past and blah, blah, blah. But have you really tried? Like, that's my question in my head. Have you really tried to change the past? I know you've been in this tree for many, many years, but have you Like tried? the three-eyed raven says, the past is already written. The ink is dry. So, as the he, same plot as the Casper and the Friendly Ghost movie. <laughs> that's three. Okay, I'm that's pretty, pretty sure. sure that, I'm pretty sure Casper listen, trying to communicate with people are, you know, the one. I don't know. What was the one with the Haley Joe Osmond kid? That's the okay. One. That's that's three for you. That's three for you. <laughs> okay, now how many strikes did you get? I don't know. I, that's I, actually he, four. But if you want, <laughs> God damn it! All right, let's get let's get out to the open ocean. And we had the we had Sam and Gilly for the first time this season, and Bandit, I gotta ask you, what a great girlfriend Gilly is, right? I, I don't I don't know, man. I kind of phased out during this scene. I was thinking, <laughs> <laughs> you're the worst, I was, man. I was because I know for I, a fact your girlfriend your girlfriend would hold your would, would hold your hair. She would clean your beard if you were if you were throwing up into a bucket. That's how that's how good your girlfriend is. I, all I'm, is all I'm saying. I mean, mine personally, yeah, she's great. But Gilly, I I mean, Gilly just seems kind of like. 
I mean, yeah, but at the same time, I mean, yeah, she's real sweet. But at the same time with Gilly, it's sweet, borderline creepy because you know her past. And so you're like, yeah, you're really sweet, but I think you just latch on to whoever, you know, is around. She called Sam the father of her son, even though Crafter is the father of her son. Yeah, her dad is actually the father of her son. Look, this whole scenario is – I don't know where they they are going exactly. I mean I guess they're going to Sam's dad's house or whatever. I assume, though, that they're going to stop by the Jerry Springer studio on the way because (laughs) even for Game of Thrones, their relationship, her past, everything is so messed up. Um, And I'm just not super compelled by it. Like if – if Sam and Gilly had gotten lost on the ocean, like that other poor bastard from season one, um, would I ever have remembered to miss them? Probably not. Probably not. I don't really care right now. Like maybe maybe something's gonna come of this, but right now, like maybe Listen. maybe Sam is gonna be the thing that he's gonna go and he's gonna meet up with Danny and her crew and then bring them together. Maybe, but maybe this is just another kind of like side plot and it's not one I'm particularly invested in right now. I'm kind of disappointed in you because I expected to to hear you say something like, now sit right back and let me, let me hear you hear a tale, a tale of a faithful ship. You know, well, I didn't, something like that. I didn't that. say that. But I expected you to. <laughs> Well, look. No, I, I, I'm afraid I have to agree. I have to agree with Bandit here. Um, and one of the very few times that will probably happen in life. But um, I am so bored by uh, Sam and Gilly that when I wrote up my huge thing of spoilers, I actually forgot them in the first draft. <laughs> but when they get to Old Town, it's going to be better, right? Like, there's going to be some fun things. Yeah, happening but you also like The Walking Dead, so I mean, hey, you know. that's five. All that's right, five. all right. So I'm going to stand up for. Uh, for Razor here at this point because Thanks. I felt like I was compelled as far as because we hadn't seen them for the first two episodes. So I was really excited about seeing them. I felt like Gilly is absolutely ride or die for, mm-hmm. you know, at this point, her only saving grace right now at, at this point. And, and somehow and, she's gotten hotter. Well, I don't, I'm not going to go there. But <laughs> I will absolutely say that. Oh, but you know, know, there I feel... Clark. You see, this is the kind of discrimination we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel like that she's there, you know, for her man. So um, I, I really appreciate that. I really love her. And she's like, no, it's you and me. We're in this together, you know, the three of us. And I really appreciate that. I love the the nod um, that he gave as far as like, look, my sister and my mom are really great people. And he like, you know, he couldn't say the same thing about his dad. I love that. It really kind of gives a kind of a feel to it. Like, okay, his dad is a complete dick. And, and we so, will meet later this season. And, yes, and the actor who they have who plays him is really good at playing a big dick. It's going to be great. And he yeah. is a dick. So I think this is really setting up to a really good kind of situation where we're going to see maybe and, – and, and yes – Bandit is right. It's kind of like a side story. But I love the fact that he was saying, like, I need to be ready for when John is ready. And I feel like that just happened. John is ready. It so all comes it, back to John with you, doesn't it, Isis? It does. Yes, it all comes it's back really to John, I swear. I mean, if you had back muscles like him, it'd go back to you, too. So <laughs> I, would, I would just like to say this. I'm going to throw this out into the universe. David Benioff or Dan Weiss or any producers on the Game of Thrones show, if you happen to listen to this podcast – 
or anybody connected they, they to the show. They do not listen. They to don't. I'm just saying, if you happen, if anybody to the show connected to the show, just throw Isis a bone and show a little bit of the Jon Snow peener and let her see it. Just just, just throw tip. her a li- just, a, just a, tip. a tip, and she'll forever be grateful. She'll be happy. She'll have her full frontal hair, and, and we can all move on. <laughs> and you know what? And it was well, so funny because, because like as soon as um as as soon as that guy was made the penis joke, I was like, he'd still get it. <laughs> I don't care if he had a small penis, he'd still get he'd it. He'd still get it. So anyway, I think I was not alone in my surmise of that. And if you look at my Twitter feed, I think that was he like the most retweeted um tweet I had last night in my <laughs> And you didn't even retweet it out, which was funny um, because it was like my most retweeted, you know, oh God, tweet that I had sent out. So it was really okay, funny, and I loved listen, it. Listen, listen. Let's go to King's Landing really quick because there's some funny things that happen in King's Landing. First of all, we have Kyburn and his Kai birds, right? And I think we're yeah. setting up okay. for something. Here, I got a question about the birds, real quick. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. For you, Razor. Okay. Uh, Vera said that thing about he would always trust a little bird. My issue right. with this is, so he would always trust what a child would say for candy. <laughs> yep. Okay. I've known a lot of kids in my life. I was once a kid, and I just remember <laughs> lying all the time as a kid. I mean, you're a kid. I, you lie all the time. You go, hey, why did you make a bad grade on this test? Well, you know, it's not my fault. My friend next to me, you know, swapped our papers or, you know, you just you make shit up all the time as a child. And then for candy, you're going to bring candy into the equation. You tell me things, you get candy. I'm 42 and I still lie for candy. You, you know, there's there's a reason that the, the white van with free candy on it is a joke. <laughs> there's a reason that's the joke. It's because children will do anything for candy. That's the basis of the joke. Well, I think they showed an important part. Like, Kyburn was was like like putting salve on that kid's like bruised eye, and he was like, "How's your mother doing? Is is her jaw healing? And have you seen your father?" And he's like, "No." And he's like, "And you never will again." Like, he's taking care of the kids' families because like he's trying to build trust with them. Like, the guys, the kids' parents were abusive, so he was taking care of them. Like he's building his little network of spies, and that's what Martin, that's what George R. R. Martin was trying to prove in his books was various little birds. He took care of them, like he gave them money, he gave them candy, he gave them whatever they needed, so they would whisper to him and give them secrets, and that's what it was built up to. I mean, yeah, I get the joke, I see what you're saying, but that's what the little birds do. Uh, I think what they're trying to do right now, the reason they showed Kyburn's Kybirds hashtag Kybirds. Um, is because we're setting up for a scene that I believe is coming very, very soon. And the reason I believe we're, we're going to see that scene very, very soon is because they showed Kevin, Uncle Kevin Lannister and Pycelle and the small council in King's Landing. And in the trailer, we saw a bunch of kids stabby, 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 stabbing something. And I believe those little birds are going to be stabbing something very soon coming up. And it's a scene from A Dance with Dragons in the epilogue. And I can't wait for it to happen. Oh, my God, I'm so happy. Anyway, off that subject, what I was really happy about, and I don't know if you guys noticed, but when the mountain walked into the small council, Pycelle looked up, and he eked out a little girl fart. Did you guys hear that? Yes. 
Oh yeah. my god, that was the funniest thing. It was like <laughs> That was probably one of the funniest things I've heard on Game of Thrones in a long time. I'm not sure why it was so funny to me. Probably because I'm a I'm a twelve year old trapped in a forty two exactly. Yeah, I'm twelve year old trapped in a forty two year old's body, but uh, a little girl eked out fart is the, probably one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my entire life. But moving on to Tommen and the Sept can we talk about why Tommen is such a little bitch? Anybody have any theories to that? Um, because it's the opposite of what his older brother was. A psychopath? Yeah. So basically, like, Joffrey was a psychopath and Tommen is the soft one. Like, they are just absolute polar opposites that way. Oh, man. Well, I'm getting raised that way. I mean, Cersei raised uh, Tommen. To well, you're going to support your brother. You're going to you're going to family's important. You need to do what other people say. You're going to. She basically raised him to be the loyal, faithful, trotter of uh, yeah, sycophant of of Joffrey, and she raised Joffrey to be the horrible, conniving, evil, awful what she thought he needed to be to be king. Um, so she raised him for two different things, and now all of a sudden, the sycophant she raised is the king, and whoopsie, once again, Cersei, no, Cersei had a plan, and it went to shit. It sucks, man, because the High Sparrow has him wrapped around his little finger, and it's it's like basically we have Baylor the, Baylor the Blessed 2.0, and I'm getting sick and tired of it, and well, either Razor- A... You can't yes. be mad at him. You can't be mad at Tommen. Tommen, it, he's he's a little boy, and I again oh. I haven't read the books, but you've told me several times that in the books he is very very young. And well, on the um, show though, in the show he's he's a he's a he's a man. He's a he's teenager. A, he's... No, well, I would I wouldn't go that far. He's not a man just because he's got his you know pecker tickled doesn't mean that he makes him a man. <laughs> uh, it, yes, it, it does. <laughs> no, it does not. Anyway. <laughs> So I, I'm just saying that he is very young and experienced, and he doesn't know exactly what he's doing, and he's easily led. And there are just some people in this world, whether they're you know in their you know early teens or in their fifties, they're just easily led, and that's who he is. And and it's because he just really doesn't feel like anybody is really trying to do any bad to him. Um, and not only that, but if they have a little bit of truth in their story, he instantly believes it. Um, so I guess we can't we can't blame Tommen for being a fucking idiot, um, <laughs> but and easily led. But Maybe he's at the part same, Stark. Ooh, ooh, plot twist. Yeah, um, but I feel I really feel like that he went to. Um, he went to the, uh, to the faithful, um, and he went to them to talk to them and try to reason with them. And I really don't feel like he, his mom knew about it. His dad slash uncle knew about it. I think he kind of really went on his own to kind of barter some kind of deal. Um, and it just didn't work out. He got played, he's got, you know, he's got no spine. He no doesn't, spot. and and but I don't really think that it's his fault, and I'm not maybe saying things, that it's Cersei's maybe maybe fault. things will change when Marjorie gets released from prison, and um, yeah, all these families with all these armies and these two hundred wackadoodles, are <laughs> well, religious you, wackadoodles, two hundred religious wackadoodles are controlling everything. How mm-hmm. crap are you people's armies if you can't run these two hundred wackadoodles out? 
I well, mean, that's what that they're going to remember that they have a huge army very soon. Yeah, very it very. It seems soon. to me that that might be I don't know the first damn thing you remember. Exactly. Well, you know well, the fact of the matter let's is, let's just say Randall Randall Tarley Randall Tarley and the Tyrells are coming. I don't know about Randall Tarley, but uh, the the the. Uh, Basically, um, we're going to see a ve- we're going to see a very large Tyrell army show up and basically try and <laughs> challenge um, the the rule of the religious leaders. You know, it, I actually thought that the scene was extraordinarily interesting this week because I'm actually while watching this also watching uh, the actual War of the Roses movies that are airing on the BBC, and these are actually based on the, you know, Martin originally based this story on a fictionalized version of the War of the Roses. So um, Henry VI is is the historical counterpart to Tom and the kind of soft overly, you know, buys into God. And it was very interesting to actually see the uh, historical version versus the fictionalized version. Anyway, sorry. I I Um, really can't wait to see Oleana really kind of start wrecking some dicks. I'm really oh, to yeah. see her in her full I love, power. I love Diana Rigg so much, I, and I she, hope she does do some of She that. is an amazing actress, and I just, I feel like this is her time to shine. And I just I, hope the show doesn't kill her off. I really hope not, because I feel like that she is really, I mean, whether or not Listen. she does get killed off, you know, trying to save um, her two you know, grandkids and stuff like that. I just, I want to see her in her full power. And uh, I love here's, really strong females. Here's the problem. Cersei has her power back. Okay. She's got the, she's got Franken mountain. She has her brother beside her and she's got Kyburn with his Kybirds. Okay. She, and to, this episode showed like, I don't know if you guys remember, but she said, and this 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 made my ears perk up. She's ready. She has her champion. She's ready to fight the trial by champion. Okay, which blow your air horns. I think we have Clegane Bowl coming up very soon, um, and that's just my theory. I think uh, uh, Sir Ian McShane, uh, Mister Swear Engine is going to be bringing a certain gravedigger to life, and we're going to have Clegane Bowl in King's Landing at some point this season, and the Mountain is going to be fighting somebody, and it's going to be a trial by champion, and Cersei is going to have her power back. And I think she's going to be killing off all of her rivals in King's Landing. That's just my theory. But uh, anyway... Uh, let's let's get out of King's Landing. Let's move on a little bit here. Let's go to Bravos, where Arya was kung fu fighting for her for her sight <laughs> with with the waif, and it was a pretty badass scene when Sexy Jesus showed up behind her, started asking her things. But what I want to talk about, and speaking of theories, is the waif started asking her about her kill list, right? And when she got to the last name on her kill list, she said, Walder, Walder Frey. And the waif stopped and turned around. Right? My theory is this. Sexy Jesus is sending Arya back to Westeros to kill Walder Frey at his new wedding this season. And he's going to die because Arya's going to poison him. Boom. 
Mark it down. You heard it here first. Well, maybe. Maybe. You know, I'm I will just say telling... this was my favorite scene of the night was uh, Arya's scenes with the wave. Yeah, it was awesome. And you know what? Everybody says the wave has a has like a grudge against Arya. Yeah. I don't believe that at all. I believe the wave is training Arya. Uh, I think she's part of it's part of her training. Is there's no grudge? She doesn't hate. She doesn't hate Arya. It's just part of the training of the House of Black and White. But I absolutely 100% believe that Walder Frey is the next target, and they're sending Arya to. And I think the the the, the murmurs are going to Westeros to put on a play for Walder Frey. We've seen him in the trailer raising a cup, and I believe Arya is going to be there to assassinate him. And he's well, on her list. I feel like Walder Frey may even have any, a, a pass with the Waif. I mean, there might be something out there. I've heard that, that theory as well. I've heard the theory that you know she she came from a, she that, that one of her stories. Remember her story last season was that she came from a, a Westerosi family. Mm-hmm. Maybe she is a maybe she is a Frey. We don't know that. And but, and I think that would de- you know make her story even deeper you know as far as like okay she's just not this just average person that there she is you know she was maybe a player in this game whether she be a daughter of um, Frey's or whatever the case may be I I really kind of it made me at the I hate to say this but the first time kind of interested in her in the wave uh, when she kind of you know she busted Kimmy Kim Gibbler yeah she busted. <laughs> And who said that on our site? Who said that? Oh, I don't remember. I think it was I think it was Bandit or uh, one of, or uh, the other guy. And it was somebody on our site that wrote wrote one of our articles that said Busted Kimmy Gibbler was. Yeah, it was. It was, it was right. like I really feel like you know. I feel like it was really kind of awesome that Walter Frey is going to be the next target because I feel like his you know it's time for him. I I think it's time for him to kind of get his uh you know just desserts if you will so oh yeah yeah he yeah that he's definitely he's definitely getting ready to go all right we're getting getting ready to start to close down this podcast we have a couple more topics to talk to get through but we're going to get through them really quick uh the last two topics i want to talk about are winterfell the umbers and that last scene with john and ollie but let's talk about winterfell really quick bandit what is it Bandit, what would you think about the new Umber? Well, I'm just worried about Tonks and Rickon. I really am. (laughs) Tonks, i got to say this for Tonks. She is the worst wildling to ever wildling. Tonks (laughs) Tonks has gotten captured every time she's done anything. Because they took her wand away. All she does is walk in her room. into being captured. She gets snuck up on and captured by everyone. No wonder... She ended up on the other side of the wall as like some kind of wild, wildling slave because she is terrible at being a wildling. Yeah, she is. I mean, I, I'm sorry. Ygritte would never have let everybody sneak up on her like this and get captured. It just – it wouldn't have happened. So, um, yeah, she's not a great wildling. And Rickon, um, I, I was digging his afro, but I feel like he's going to die soon, so it's not really going to matter because even if John rides south and – they go to meet John, and they're going to try to get John. And even if all this happens, um, I don't think Rickon's going to live to see um, all that go down. 
Um, I also would like to point out that the the um, the dire wolves are pretty much completely useless except for ghosts. No dire wolf has done anything except basically get murdered except for ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> Grey Wind did a lot until he got. You could have at least gotten your your kids like Rottweilers or something because these <laughs> they're terrible. Okay, I would just like for the people who don't understand when he was when he was saying the name Tonks, he's referring to her character that she played in Harry Potter, um, which her name was Tonks. Uh, that's not her character her name. name. Osha, that, oh, you're right. You yes. know, and explaining jokes often makes them better, Isis. That's, <laughs> well, <laughs> I need to explain it because not everybody is nerdy as you. So anyway, well, I just talk about Game of Thrones for an hour at a time. I'm pretty sure these people get what I'm saying. <laughs> these mean, are our people. Let me, people. Okay. Let, me <laughs> let me quickly break down what I think's happening right there. Well, no, I, I don't. Have a, think... I have a question as a non okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Can you explain to us? who the Umbers are, because I think a lot of the book readers are kind of missing a lot of probably house, the backstory. House, house Umber them. is a fiercely, fiercely loyal house to House Stark. Uh, when uh, Rob Stark called the banners to go march to King's Landing to release uh, Sansa and Arya Stark and Ned Stark's bones from King's Landing, uh, uh Great John Umber was the first one to say, the king of the north, and that he was his lieutenant. And in the show, the, 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 the uh, Umbers weren't killed. In the books, uh, they were killed, so blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, now we have a new Umber, and that Umber that was on the show, he decided, obviously, that he was going to give Ramsay a present. Now, here's my thing, and I'm going to quickly break it down for you really quick. Um, when you swear fealty to the, new, to the new Warden of the North, you either have to kiss a ring, you have to say the words, you have to make an oath, you have to do guest right, eat bread, eat salt, blah, blah, blah. He did none of those things. Here's what's – and I'm assuming his name is Small John Umber. I'm not sure. He did not kiss Ramsey's ring. He called his father a cunt. Sorry for using that word. He did not swear fealty. He did not eat bread. He did not eat salt. He never said any words of fealty. And he brought this tiny little black wolf's head out on a hook. Rickon did not seem very upset about that wolf head. He, looked, he was like, ugh, like he like huffed when he saw the wolf head. Here's my theory. I think that the Umbers are putting Rickon in Winterfell because there's a saying – that is very popular in Game of Thrones and in A Song of Ice and Fire. There must always be a Stark in Winterfell. And I think the Umbers are trying to reinstate a Stark in Winterfell so that they can place him as the Lord of the North. Now, that's just my theory. I could be completely wrong. They could be on the side of the Boltons. But the Boltons are a very hated family in the North. The Boltons have always been a hated family in the North. The Boltons are the reason that the Umbers were betrayed at the Twins, and the Boltons and the Umbers would remember that. The Boltons also hate the Karstarks, and they would never side with the Karstarks. That's just my theory. Take it, take it or leave it. That's just my theory. I mean, maybe, now, but if that's true, that's just as dumb as a start plan because, you know, Ramsey ain't gonna screw around, man. No, you know what? You, I gotta say, like Sansa Stark, Lannister, Bolton better be writing a thank you note to Rickon for all the punishment he's about to take in her place because 
not only does he now is he now Ramsey's number one plaything, but with him alive and revealed alive, she is no longer key to the North. She she just got off the hook. No one else is going to yeah. try and marry her because she's no longer the valuable piece she was. But if 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 the Umbers are there and Recon has to remain alive to unite that. Unite the houses of the north. Ramsey's not going to kill Recon. Well, that's the thing. I think they think they might have that. You, I can see where you think they might have that theory. But they're really, if they're, if that's their theory, they're underestimating him as badly as his father did. This is true. This is true. I, again, I'm, I'm often wrong, and I could be wrong here too. But we'll see. Now let's go to the wall and let's all have a good round of applause for Ollie dying at the end of the road. <laughs> Yay! I was for a second there thinking John was going to spare all of the guys at the end of the rope. I was like, John's not going to kill these guys. He's going to be like, no, you guys can live, and you can. This, this is the wall. This is where people come to serve out their punishments, right? And then I was like, fuck that. He's going to chop all. He's going to chop that rope in half. And the only one I respect out of all of them was Alistair Thorne. And I also want to give a round of applause. For Sir Alistair Thorne's actor. That guy has been a badass actor from season one until now because he has always been a superb actor. And, and his last lines were badass from, from line one to the last line he said because he took it like a man. And then that little bitch Ollie just stared at John with that little puckered up face. And when he died, I took a screenshot and I put it as my wallpaper. I, on my if computer. I may, for just a second, here's where I'm going to agree with Annie last week real quick. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I agree. I wanted Ollie to die as bad as anyone. I hated Ollie. Everyone hated Ollie. Ollie was the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, and after Ollie died and I was like, yeah, Ollie's dead. But then my girlfriend said something and, I, and it made me realize that, she said, why do we keep showing – like I get it. We, they died as Game of Thrones. They show them dying. We keep showing their bodies flapping around like they're pinatas. Why are we doing that? And it made me stop and think about what Annie said last week about needing to see things, not needing to see things. And I made my big joke about leaving the room. And I stopped and I realized, you know, we all, as much as I hated Ollie and I wanted to see Ollie die – the close-up on Ollie and all that stuff really was just so we could see it and go, ha-ha. It was fan service. Yeah, it was just, ha-ha, look, he's dead. Get excited about a dead body. You know, that, <laughs> that sincerely was what it was. And so I have to kind of walk back my whole, you know, and although I, I wasn't as into it as Corey last week about, you know, there was a point to the to the Waldo stuff, but um, I, I definitely can see in that where people would go, why? Well, why? Why are we doing this much of this? Like, I get doing a little of it, but why are we doing this much? And it does make me stop and think, man, I hope we are not going down a path. And I'm not saying it's we're there yet. I'm just saying I hope we're not going down, down a path where Game of Thrones feels like we got to make every death spectacularly awful and we got to top last week and do and do and do and do because once you get into that, then it quickly becomes a Rob Zombie movie, and no one wants to see a Rob Zombie movie. Well, I believe that the Ollie hanging and showing his bloated purple face honestly was fan service. It was fan service from his, the rope going around his neck to showing his, his bloated face. I honestly believe that because nobody liked that little kid, and it was – 
the, the producer's fault. It was the writer who who created his character in the first well, place. The actor, I mean, he's so good that we hated him. Yeah, no, absolutely, we hated him, and I feel I feel sorry for the kid who was the actor. Everybody hated him, but he was that but good. He was that good. If he was but, a bad actor, we wouldn't have hated him that much. We would just been like, oh. So. So you know what? All he's dead. All is right in the world. Hopefully. Bandit's right, and there won't be any more, like, gruesome, over-the-top deaths. But this is Game of Thrones. What can we expect? We're going to see more over-the-top deaths. Um, I'm not saying there shouldn't be. I'm just saying they need to have a point. They need to have a real substantial point. Also, this season so far, every single episode has had a multitude of deaths, if you've noticed. Multitude. Like, we are writing writing curtain calls daily over at WIC right now. So... Next week, we have Brienne and Sansa going, it looks like, it appears to be going to Castle Black. We've got uh, Jorah the Explorer and Dario at uh, Vastothrak, looking like they're trying to rescue Danny. Um, and it looks like Theon has finally made it home to the Iron Islands, and his sister is pissed off. Uh, so... That looks like it's going to be a fun episode, guys. I hope we'll hopefully we'll see a Stark reunion for the first time in what ever, uh, ever. Yeah. So, um, for myself, Razor, for Annie, for Isis, and for Bandit, thanks for listening, and we will see you, you next week on Take the Black. He was the man to lead us through the long night. The face will be added to the whole. You would spill blood in this holy place. The gods won't mind. Show them what Lannisters are. And make no mistake. The dead are coming. Dragons do not do well in captivity. How do you know this? That's what I do. I drink and I know things. They have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs>